Here's God's word for us this morning. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king, that is David, said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I bought, brought up from the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of, the, of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built, a, built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I'll make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with, the, with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray as we consider God's word together. Father, we pray you would cut through the noise of our own lives, of our own self-doubt, of our own self-righteousness, of the voices in our head, no doubt coming from our flesh, coming from the devil, coming from the world outside. Lord, instead, help us to hear your voice this morning. Lord, may you be the preacher and teacher. May you be the one by your spirit that applies these words to our lives. Thank you for David's greater son. And we pray that you would show us Jesus this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. This passage is well known to, to, to talk about uh, the Davidic covenant. And if you know your Bibles a little bit, you know that the, there's a series of covenants in God's word. They're really kind of turning points in redemptive history. And they kind of start with the, with the covenant of, of works uh, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, that if Adam and Eve had just uh, kept their noses clean and, and, and worked really hard in the garden, that they would have, they would have had a, a, a relationship with God that would, would certainly different than the one we have. But, uh, but of course, uh, they would have been blessed. They didn't. They sinned. And so... Uh, covenants then began continuing with Noah. You remember the covenant with Noah, the rainbow? Now, God then promised afterwards to never decimate again the human race. Uh, there's a covenant with Abraham, very significant covenant, uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 12. Covenant with Moses, 
dealing with uh, the law. And now the David and his covenant here at the beginning of chapter 7. We're going to look next week at David's response to this, his prayer. But this week we're going to talk about um, how David had a plan to build God something. Instead, God says, no, I'm going to build you something. And uh, well, let's look, we're going to look at this together. If you're, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at the first three verses together. We're looking at a reasonable plan. Then the next uh, four verses, verses four through seven, we'll look at God rejects David's initiative. And then finally, eight through 17, God reveals his covenant with David. A reasonable plan, God rejects David's initiative, and God reveals his covenant with David. Look at me in verses one through three. We're looking at the reasonable plan. It says, now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. I think one commentator put it this way, that, that there were no wars going on, and David and Nathan were just kind of kicking backs, uh, perhaps smoking some cigars after dinner, uh, enjoying some, some, some brandy. And they were I'm sure they were reformed, so they must have had a beard or at least a, or at least a goatee. But I'm just imagining them sitting in the backyard or something. And David kind of saying, looking around, saying, I've got nothing to do. Um, David doesn't do very well with downtime. We'll find out more about that in a few chapters. But the Lord had given him rest. And it was good that David said in verse 2 that he says, Look, I, I, we have this beautiful palace I live in, this, this house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. That wasn't just any old tent. It was a tent that was a few, years, a few hundred years old by now. Imagine going camping with a tent that's a few hundred years old. That's how grimy and, and full of holes it was, I'm sure. And I'm sure it was patched up here and there, but I mean, it was still a tent. It was still very, very old. And so there's kind of this reminder that, that God is kind of, David wants something better for God, if you will. And so the inference here, he doesn't say it out loud, but you, you get the impression, I'll build the Lord a house. I'd like to build God a house. And it's such a, it's such a good idea to Nathan that Nathan just says to the king, go, do it all that's in your heart. The Lord is with you. It's the first time we meet Nathan. And it's actually kind of interesting that Nathan doesn't even pray. Nathan the prophet just says, I know you really well. I know God really well. This sounds like a great plan. Um, you know, I'm sure, that, I'm, sure that, I'm sure it'll be just fine. And so Nathan gives God's okay without even asking God in the first place. It's just a reminder that God, sometimes God's leader, God's anointed one, gets it wrong. Right, just in 1 Samuel, think about a few occasions here. Remember when Eli, at the beginning of 1 Samuel, thought Hannah was drunk? When she was praying fervently to God? And Eli thought she was drunk. Samuel, when he was told that uh, he, he needed to go to, to Jesse's house to, to find uh, the new prince for Israel, thought that David's oldest brothers, one of them surely must have these guys are right out of central casting. They must be the ones. No, they had to fish David out of the pasture. He was taking care of the sheep. And even David, several chapters later, thought it was best to get rid of Abigail's husband, Nabal. You remember that old fool that, uh, that was married to Abigail? He winds up dying on his own when, when Abigail intercedes and says, no, no, don't do that. Sometimes God's leaders get it wrong even when it looks like it's obviously right. That's why we, need, we all need accountability. We all need to, to be able to be accountable to each other. Um, 
and that's why I really encourage you, if you're, if you're able, to find a Bible study. Find a small group. Find a time where you can meet with a friend if, if those times don't work. Uh, if you come just to church on Sunday mornings, you're going you're, you're to get something out of it, right? I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's obviously a very good thing to come to church on Sunday mornings. But to get a full experience of, of what, what God has for you, uh, we, you need to help to build relationships during the week. So find those times. Perhaps not even with folks in this church. Perhaps it's somebody, some folks in a BSF or, or another kind of Bible study. Um, I really encourage you to find that uh, because we, all of us really need it. If God's leaders get it wrong, uh, certainly the rest of us also get it wrong sometimes too. We need accountability. And thank, you, and thank goodness for Nathan because he, he finally hears from the Lord a little bit later. So that's a reasonable plan. And by the way, it just shows that all reasonable plans uh, aren't God's plans. God sometimes is, is, is not reasonable. He's even better than that. So we see God rejects David's, David's initiative in the next few verses, verses 4 through 7. So after Nathan says to the king, go, the Lord is with you. Then the, that night, the same night, the word of the Lord said to Nathan, came to Nathan and say, whoops, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought, brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So God rejects David's initiative. And he has some reasons. He lists some reasons here. The first one is this. Notice he says, I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. Wherever, I've, wherever my people Israel have gone, I have gone. It really kind of shows, again, this is a God who's not afraid to be with his people. He tabernacles with them. He tents with them. He camps with them. He is with them. He doesn't need to be pampered. He is not a, a high-maintenance God. Right? The, the gods of the nations, they need, they need temples to be built in. Uh, they need to be, they need to be uh, uh, put up on a pedestal, so to speak. But God prefers to be with his people. And until they are established firmly in the, in the land... Uh, he'd prefer to stay in his tent because they, in a sense, are staying in their tents. Interesting to think about God in that way. Notice another thing, he just he says, when did I ever ask for this? He says, this is a great idea, but I never asked for a tent, or excuse me, I never asked uh, for, a, for a temple. Uh, I never commanded it, so I don't need that. And so it just goes to show Again, you can have reasonable ideas for what, God, for what you think God wants. But at the end of the day, uh, it's God. And what, another reason, I, I'm not sure it's in here. But, oh, oh, no, no, in particular, it's these questions about, why, about uh, God saying that he has not asked for it. God is the one that likes to take the initiative. Every time in redemptive history, God is the one who, 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 who takes initiative. I mentioned the covenants with Noah and Abraham and Moses. Um, let's pick on Moses and, and, and Abraham a little bit. You notice it was, it was God that initiated the covenant with Moses, right? right? God is the one who, who had the burning bush. Moses didn't apply for, apply for that job. <laughs> he didn't want that job. You remember he tried to get out of it? Eventually talked, his, 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 eventually talked Aaron into helping him out with that. Uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 didn't say, you know, God, I really got this great plan. I got this great plan. I'm going to have you move me 
uh, right out of where I, where I live now to this other place. I mean, you're going you're gonna to float me all over the, the place. and Eventually, you're going to have children and I'm really old. It's a, it's a great plan I've got here, God. You know, God is the one that always takes initiative in these things. He takes initiative with you and me. See, God, God wants things done by his grace, his initiative, his mercy, not human effort. And so God rejects David's initiative. It's just an, it's just an important thing to remember uh, that you and I, um, we were saved by God, as we talked about in Titus, not by things we've done, by things God has done. What does, what does Romans tell us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice the order of that. We were still sinners. We were still opposed to God. We were just as dead spiritually as Lazarus was physically. You remember the story about how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I think in John chapter 11. Lazarus didn't go, I'm almost dead, God. Could you give me the 99.9% left? It's not the princess bride, right? You remember, for those of you who know the story, it's not, he's not almost dead. Lazarus was dead. In the same way, we were yet sinners. We were opposed to God. Not, not only did we not want to be around God, we, we, if we could kill God, we could have. We would have. And yet, we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to, to, to come to the table. He didn't wait for us to learn our lesson. He sent his, his son to live and die in our place. God always takes the initiative in these covenants. He takes the initiative with you. He takes the initiative with me. That's good because that means that my relationship with God is not based on my performance. It's based upon what Christ has done. Now, does my sin displease God? Yeah, it does. And, and there are things I do in faith that I'm sure please God. But at the end of the day, my relationship with God is based not upon my, my righteousness, but on his righteousness given to me. God rejects David's initiative because God is a God of the initiative. And then in verses 8 through 17, the longer section here, you see God reveals his covenant with David. Let me read that again for us. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people of Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people of Israel and plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Let's just stop there for just a moment. So God has made David great, right? He's the one, he, as I said earlier, he, he fished him out of the, of the sheep pasture. It says right there in verse, eight, in verse eight, I made you a prince, he says. I've been, there, I've, been more, I've been with you wherever you've gone. If it was dealing with Saul, if it was dealing with, uh, with the enemies of God, I will make for you a great name, he says. And he says, notice he's going to point a place for Israel and we'll plant them. He says, uh, he says, I'll give them rest from all your enemies. Now, it's interesting because at the very beginning of the chapter, it says that God had given David rest from his enemies. But God is going to give even a more of a, of a thorough, thoroughgoing rest, a longer lasting rest. God has made David great, and he's given Israel, pre, he's given Israel peace, and he will continue to do so, he promises in these verses. 
And then at the end of verse 11, it says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So it's kind of this interesting kind of tidbit here, right? So, so David says, I'll, I'll make you a house. God says, no, I'll make you a house. Now, he already has a house to live in. It doesn't mean a physical structure. What he's talking about is kind of a play on words. He's talking about a dynasty. He's talking about a household. He's talking about a line of succession from David into his throne. He will make David a house. That house is going to last eternally. Let me continue to read here. Verse 12, it says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that is when you die, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So notice verse 13, it must be referring to Solomon. As we know, Solomon is David's son. Solomon is the one who winds up building the temple. Um, and he will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now Solomon doesn't reign forever. In fact, there begins to, there begins to be cracks in, in, David's, uh, in, the, in the Davidic throne. Eventually, you know, there's winds up being civil war. And David, David, David's uh, successors continue to reign on the southern, southern throne until they left uh, eventually by the Babylonian conquest. Notice it goes on to say in verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of, the, of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as, it, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So there's some ways when we read this that it's, it's clear that this can't be just Solomon and, and that, 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 uh, that, that God is talking about. Uh, but there are other parts. It's obviously some parts it is Solomon. Verse 14, it's, he will discipline him with a rod of men. Um, he says, his steadfast love will not depart from him. If you, read, if you read on in 1 Kings, you will find out that Solomon, actually his love for God left. But God's love for him never did. But ultimately, these verses are fulfilled in Jesus, David's greater son. The God's has said, his steadfast love will not depart from him. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. These are the promises it could not be fulfilled in Solomon. Uh, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That word forever is used quite a few times here. Forever is a long, long time. We know Solomon reigned 40 years. It's a long time. It's not forever. And even after David's throne is, is and, and the southern kingdom is, is, con is Judah is, is conquered by Babylon, eventually, David's greater son, Jesus, took the throne, if you will. So there's a greater thing to be thinking about here. Uh, God reveals his covenant with David. And, and these, these covenants can kind of continue to build upon each other, if I could use that term, um, as like we kind of move towards a close this morning. Abraham, for example, was called to be a blessing to the nations. He was going to have numerous descendants. Now, when, David, when Abraham heard this, he was an old man already. Uh, he didn't have any children. And yet God did some amazing things. If you read Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, the promises God made. Probably my, my most favorite, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 
is Genesis 15. I think it's 15, where, where God shows uh, Abraham the stars in the sky and says, count them if you can, but so shall your offspring be. And David believed God, it says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, really a significant uh, time in the, in the uh, scriptures. Galatians 3 talks about this idea with Abraham. It says, um, Paul's talking about uh, the difference between uh, works, uh, uh, trying to uh, have, a, have, a, have a life uh, based upon your works or based upon the gospel. It says, uh, among you, do you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and was counted in his righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It goes on to say, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, it's one thing to think, Abraham looking at that sky and thinking all of his physical descendants were new. No doubt that was true. But God had something even greater in mind. Abraham's spiritual descendants. So if you're in Christ this morning, I'm here to tell you that you were in that sky, in a sense. That when Abraham looked at that sky, you were one of those stars that he saw. Of course, he couldn't imagine uh, that, that in, you know, all these years later, the Gentiles, like you and I, for most of us Gentiles, uh, would be talking about this. But that's how Jesus kind of fulfills these covenants. And he does the same thing with the covenant with David. In fact, David had the blessing of being able to write uh, some pretty significant things in the Psalms. Just one Psalm, I mean, in particular, Psalm 110. If you have that, I encourage you to take, turn, turn there. Psalm 110. It's a, it's, a, it's a psalm of enthronement. It says it's a psalm of David. Now it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So notice it says, The Lord, that means Yahweh, that's God's holy name, says to my Lord, who would be David's Lord? He would be his greater son, Jesus. So Yahweh says to my Lord, to Jesus, the Lord's anointed, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That must have been an amazing thing for David to have written. I wonder really if he understood it. Um, the very fact that he would have understood, then to, then to be able to think about the fact that you know, David one day thought that he was going to build God a house. And now God says, no, I'm going to build a, a greater house for you. In fact, I'm going to make one of your sons, one of your descendants, the Lord's anointed. He'll be Messiah. I mean, read, just read just a few verses down. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It goes on to talk about how he will execute his wrath and defeat all God's enemies forever. This is a momentous scripture we're reading this morning in 2 Samuel. It is talking about the fact that Jesus is going to be, God's throne is going to be established through David. 
eventually into, into Jesus. What a promise God has given us in Christ. And God has made a covenant with you. Because he's made a covenant with his son. So if you know Jesus this morning, you're in covenant with God. You're in relationship with him. When we come to the table in just a few moments, uh, this, is a, this is a celebration of God's covenant. It reminds us that God always keeps his promises, even when we fail to. And so this morning, recognize that God makes covenants with us by his own initiative, not ours. So I encourage you this morning to remember that God has, made, has a relationship with you. Sometimes I think as evangelicals, we get that, 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 that word gets overused. To the, you know, do you, having a, a relationship with Jesus. That's that word covenant just simply means. It has more to it than just simple relationship. It has legal stipulations as well. But God has made these great covenants with the saints of long ago. But they long to be here with us today. They long to have been on, the, on this side of the cross. Of seeing Jesus as the Messiah who lived and died in our place. Abraham and Moses and David would have loved to have the Holy Spirit dwell in them. Now they certainly had visits of the Holy Spirit, but we have the gift of the Spirit forever. So dear friends, recognize what God has given you in Christ. The fulfillment of, of, of every covenant that God has ever made is in Jesus. So put your faith and trust in him and recognize that you are blessed beyond measure to live on this side of the cross. That Jesus came to live and die for sinners such as us. Gentiles, Jews alike. And because of that, we have life and life to the fullest. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table. God, we thank you for the covenants that you have made with your people. We thank you for fulfilling all of them in Jesus. How could Abraham have known uh, all that time ago? It'd be one of his descendants that would be a blessing to the nations, not just uh, to, to his own people, but to Gentiles too. How could Moses could not have known that you would have fulfilled the perfect law that you gave him? That David would have known, and he did know, I guess, that you would be his eternal son who would reign forever. Lord, we pray that, you would, that your kingdom would come afresh that you would bring life to our church, that you bring life to our city, that you would use our church, Lord, as an instrument of your redeeming grace. And Lord, use us, even us, our, despite our frailties, despite our sin, despite our lack of faith. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and exalted because you have come to save sinners. And we, Lord, we claim your promises for us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Please stand as we continue our worship. Please.